Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к предверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоню наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которая очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество, все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег, могущество Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, веди его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться.
Амоса. Четвертая глава стихи 5-6. Приносите в жертву благодарение квасное, провозглашаете о добровольных ваших и разглашаете о них. Говорит Господь Бог. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. Proclaim and announce the free will offering. For this you love, you children of Israel, says the Lord God. Also, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. God continues to have communication with His people despite the fact that His people departs from Him, turn their backs toward Him. But God still continues to speak to His people. He says, you bring 
a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. With leaven means they have, it has sin contained in it. That which God cannot accept. Therefore, he says, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all of your cities. Cleanness of teeth is the figurative definition of a curse expressed in the material sphere and in the material poverty. And this, despite the fact that Israel not just gave God a tenth, but also uh, gave above offerings, expressed and voluntary offerings, and they loved to proclaim this. They were proud of this, that they not just honor God with tithes and offerings, but they give uh, above, over. The question arises, why did God, instead of honoring his people who had brought him his tithes and offerings, give them cleanness of teeth in all of their cities? The answer is in this, that they had brought their offerings not according to God's established order. God's order in offering God tithes and offerings was contained in the fact that a person in his offerings should search for not for blessings expressed in material riches, but for God. He who blesses spiritually and materially. Thus, their thanksgiving before the face of God became leaven, meaning, un meaning defiled or unclean. Therefore, before we honor God or begin to honor God in tithes and offerings, we always turn our hearts not to his blessings expressed in riches, but in search for his countenance or for his face. Because in the realization of material blessings, our role is contained in searching for the one who blesses. Whereas God's role is to bless us in his established order. And according to that measure that he finds it necessary in order to care for us, in order to grow us for his kingdom. In other words, when we, in our offerings, worship God, express our love to Him, and search for His countenance, and give Him the right to fill our barns abundantly, and first and foremost, to fill our hearts with the truth of the Word of God that is going to free us, not just from sin, but also from poverty from the curse of poverty. Jesus said, Know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Therefore, the wise is not given to the rich, but the wise is uh, the riches are given to those who acknowledge the truth, those who acknowledge God in the truth. Because God does not want his children to suffer or to need, and he did not intend for this. All of the riches of the world were created specifically for his children, and it's very unfortunate that today, rich people of this world use these blessings. When I'm referring to these people, I'm talking about people in the church who have placed material riches as their top priority and they've begun to use places of scripture that are meant to increase or multiply faith. They use these very same places of scripture to become material prosperous, telling others that this is the will of God, that God wants us to be prosperous and successful. God wants us to be just like him, to demonstrate his holiness. And therefore, he uses all means to help us to do so. Despite the fact that we are going to be faithful to him, he will test us. 
When some kind of vessel is made or a pot is made, however perfect this vessel may be, it's impossible to use it until it goes through the furnace of fire, the trials of fire. It must be placed in the furnace in order for it, this vessel to then be able to contain water. We know and we were created by God in this way, but God says, I want to place you in my furnace so that you can then contain my promises. Otherwise, when I give you the promise, and if I don't test you, without being tested, these promises are going to destroy you. If you pour into a vessel that has not gone through fire, then this water is going to pour, be poured out, and the vessel will lose its form, and it's going to be ruined. One time, there was one person who was of a high rank asked me a question. I pay attention that you, Christian people or believers, you live pure life, you fear lying, sin, adultery. So he says, I've paid attention that for some reason all of the difficulties in life are poured out on you and not on us. Why? And I answered him. Because gold is tested in fire. But in... He says, where is this written? I said in the Bible. He says, what a, bi what a, what a book, what a Bible. In other words, if a person is not born of God, if he understood the significance of this and said, what a book, how come many saints finding themselves in these circumstances, and we know that these circumstances occur when we begin to take off the old man, when we all of a sudden begin to realize and understand that that shepherd or that, that staff that we relied on is a venomous snake. We relied on our own rational capabilities, on our religion, but this is a venomous snake that has a deadly bite. And then God says to Moses, take it by the tail. We know that the tail of all reptiles is their wheel. They control themselves with their, with their tails. We take authority of our, we take authority over our soul when we begin to proclaim with our lips, not what our emotions tell us, and not what our mind tell us, tells us, but what information tells us, coming to us from hearing the word of God, which is the faith of God. And when we do begin to do this, then our soul becomes the soul of God. Before this, it was our soul. But now, it is found in the possession of God, and God begins to use it in order to grow us so that we could receive the great promises of God. And the great promises of God aren't contained in material blessings. They're contained, as we know, in the adoption of our bodies through the redemption of Christ. It doesn't matter how blessed we are materially in our eyes, because a person is a kind of being. It's very interesting that however much you give him, it's always not going to be enough for him. There was a time when there was a person, uh, he was a millionaire and he had lost everything. Everything. He had one million remaining. 
he wrote a note, uh, there's no reason to live anymore, and he hung himself because he only had a one million left. Many people dream for even $10,000. 50 is, is beyond their beliefs. That person would never hang himself in the possession of such money, but that millionaire did. Why? Because each of us have different views on riches. One view is that, rich, that riches is when he has this amount of money, and another one, he sees a different amount as riches. There's also a phrase that says, there's never enough money, but blessed is God. We aren't dependent on money. We are dependent on the great riches, on truth. And when our heart understands the meaning of this truth, the meaning of the riches of truth, we begin to tremble. We go to service, and what do we do? We honor God with tithes and offerings. Because this is the foundational teaching that reveals the entrance into the treasury of God, into the house of God, into the courts of God. This is that moment when we begin to honor God, expressing our love toward Him and acknowledging His authority over us. If I say, Lord, I accept your authority, I love you, but our heart squirms when we hear about tithes, and when we say, this is a part of the Old Testament, if this is a part um, if this is not part of the New Testament to you and something of the Old, you can go to that church that is marching under the banner of perdition. We consider this a privilege to know about tithes, to honor God. And we're grateful for the fact that we have this opportunity. Let us stand together and sing, and we are going to, in the joy of our hearts, worship God and the offerings of our tithes. We're going to honor Him, and we are going to express our love toward Him and acknowledge His authority over us. Blessed is God that He gave us the opportunity to already be in His land, because His land is God's chosen remnant, the Church of Jesus Christ, here on earth. And if we have entered it, we have come into this kingdom. Therefore, we are going to thank God and worship Him. And I would gladly remind you that each time Israel had honored God with tithes and offerings, they were called to either, whether this be in a tabernacle of Moses or the Temple of Solomon, they were called to raise their right hands over their offerings and proclaim one unique proclamation that Moses had received as a revelation from God. We, being that same Israel, tied to that same root, drinking from the same tree, will do the same thing. Please raise your right hand, the symbol of your righteous act, over your offerings, and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home so that your home may have food. I did not give impurely. I did not give in sorrow. And I did not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority. And according to your word, I ask you, right now, may your heavenly windows be opened and may your blessings come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation 
Christ. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. And so, whoever of you has a Bible, you can open along with me the book of Jeremiah, chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Continuing to study our topic of the ancient path of goodness, we called it Return to the Ancient Path of Goodness. We've already defined that Return to the Ancient Path of Goodness is to accept the Kingdom of Heaven, which is contained in the reigning principles of the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. 
This is what is said in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. This is a new version. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, and of doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Four each one of the four doctrines in the ancient path of goodness has a tripartite nature, making up twelve parts in total. I will limit myself to seven symbols of the twelve foundational teachings which represent the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, although there are more. But I think that seven is a kind of fullness, a representation of fullness that will be enough in order for us to understand that truly, there is a lot contained in this, and if we acknowledge this, and if we depart from this, then we're going to have any protection remaining, and we're not going to have any opportunity to repent, as we have read. The first symbol of the teaching of Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh, is the twelve bronze bulls that carry the bronze sea. As soon as a person entered the outer court of the temple, he would immediately see the edifice of the bronze sea, bathing in which allowed the priest to enter into the tabernacle and live. It's written, And he made the sea of cast bronze and stood on twelve oxen, three looking toward the north, three looking toward the west, three looking toward the south. It was written that the priests had to come with specific garments, and if they would not do so, then entering into it, they would perish. And again, 1 Kings chapter 7, verses 23 through 26 says, He made the sea of cast bronze. It stood on twelve oxen, three looking toward the north, three looking toward the west, three looking toward the south, and three looking toward the east. The sea was set upon them, and all their back parts pointed inward. It was a handbreadth thick, and its brim was shaped like the brim of a cup, like a lily blossom. Symbolically, the waters of the bronze sea washed away all the desires and ambitions of the flesh, which came out of a person in the form of sweat. If a person would go in sweaty before the Lord, he would die because this was an image, a symbol. A sweat is an expression of all desires of the flesh. Therefore, in order to enter before God, it was necessary to go before Him without your own desires. And when entering the tabernacle after bathing, the person was ready to represent only the desires and interests of God, because the interests of the flesh are then abolished. The bronze sea was cast as one piece in the shape of a flowering lily, which symbolizes the faith of Abraham and his descendants. Luke chapter 12, verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So, being like a flowering lily is presented as a symbol of the faith of Abraham 
upon which we must compare ourselves to, which we must follow the example of. The lily owes its glory and success to the good earth and the good seed out of which it grows. It doesn't have to do anything special or borrow anything from anybody to grow because everything it needs is already contained in the good seed out of which it grew and the good earth into which the seed of the kingdom of heaven was placed. For Abraham, the seed of the kingdom of heaven was the word of God which commanded him to leave his land, his people, and his house and to go into the land which God would show him. Isaiah chapter 51 verse 2 Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. The earth that God showed Abraham was his new heart and renewed spirit, able to accept the good seed and be fertilized by it. In practice, this meant obeying the word of God and making a place for the habitation of the Almighty inside oneself. Ezekiel chapter 18 verses 31 and 32 Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Pay close attention A good seed can be accepted only by the good soil. When a good seed ends up in bad soil, the seed will perish. Even this soil was good, but if it had tares, the tares, when they grew up, they would also swallow up the seed. Tares are an example of, of material riches. When a person begins to use the Word of God to become materially prosperous, therefore we must look to Abraham the way he looked to the four corners of the earth, becoming like the image of twelve bulls. So we must look how Abraham looked at all four, um, four corners of the earth. And the Lord said to Abram, after Allah had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. The fact that he made an altar spoke of the fact that he was found in the dignity of a priest. Only a priest could build an altar and offer a sacrifice. And here first we see that God wanted him to look to the four corners of the earth, north, east, south, and west upon this land, in all directions he wanted him to look, and then to walk along its length and width. Obviously, in this kind of life, he would have no time to, to build and so and so forth. Therefore, the life of Abraham was the life of a person who was constantly walking, being adventurous or studying his land. It's very important to examine or to study our new, our new heart in its length and its width. 
because it is that new land, that new soil that it's going to be able to accept the seed of the word of God. Therefore, for Abraham looking toward the four corners of the earth meant walking along its length and width. And considering this commandment, for Abraham to walk along the length and width of the earth symbolically meant that he washed himself in the bronze sea. Because these 12 bulls looked at the four, um, at the directions of, of the light. This proved to God that the purpose of his sanctification in the waters of the Bronze Sea agreed with his divine order. Not every sanctification meets the requirements of God's order. To be sanctified means to be sanctified according to the teaching or the four corners of the earth that is. Uh, that is presented in these 12 poles. The act of washing in the bronze sea, which rested on 12 poles that looked out to the four corners of the earth, symbolized passage through the narrow gates which led a person out onto the ancient path of good. I'm not going, I think you understand, I'm not going to talk about it um, further, but I think you understood this image of the 12 teachings. The next symbol of the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh were the twelve baked unleavened cakes on the gold table of bread offering. Leviticus chapter 24, verses 5 and 6. And you shall take fine flour and bake twelve cakes with it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. You shall set them in two rows, six in a row, on the pure gold table before the Lord. Six by six. Uh, sometimes... People illustrate this incorrectly, but here it said, uh, in two rows, six in a row. The twelve and eleven loaves on the gold table of bread offering, uh, we saw on the outer courts, we saw the twelve bowls, but when we went inside the sanctuary, if they fell on the southern side, on the golden table of bread offerings, then you would have seen the twelve baked breads. The twelve unleavened loaves on the gold table of bread offering are the gospel of the kingdom, which we accept with our hearts, even though for a certain time we are not able to understand it with our minds. Why we are unable to understand it with our minds? Because these breads were presented for the Lord. Those people who come to service and who accept only that which they understand with their minds means that they do not have the golden table with the twelve breads. Because God eats only that which we do not understand with our minds, but accept with our hearts. Why do we accept it? Because we know that this comes from God, that this is the Word of God. It's impossible to understand the whole word of God because this is God's food. Yes, something, some he gives to us. But when he says, this is for me, do not draw near it, don't touch this, this is hallowed, this is mine. Therefore, on one hand, such an attitude to, toward hearing the gospel word of the kingdom of heaven is a testament to our timely obedience and complete trust in the perfect will of God. We sing these kinds of songs that we are ready to walk after you even when we don't know where you're leading us. We sing these exact words. I go unknowingly but strive to know. All I know is that I'm going after you. If God would have revealed our whole fate to us, what's going to happen to us? How would we be able to live? 
He just leads us and guides us. We'll take a look at Isaac, for example. He was a young man who carried the wood for the fire. They go to make an offering, and Isaac thinks that he's helping his father to carry the wood for the fire in order to make an offering. But Isaac doesn't know that he himself is going to be the sacrifice. And he asks his father, here is the wood and here is the fire. Where is the sacrifice? He couldn't see a, a lamb being brought along with them. And he says to him, God is going to provide the sacrifice, my son. And it's written furthermore. And both went on silently. The child did not ask any more questions. He thought, this this is going to be God's path. He's going to provide. We want, but we want to know as humans. If we do know what is going to be on this golden table, what is God going to, to feed from? We must understand that 12 teachings, the 12 breads, they're going to be such truths that we might not understand right away. Don't be turmoiled inside of yourself. Don't say, speak to us more plainly. Even if I do speak more plainly, if God does not open your hearts, you will not understand. For many students had gone away from us because they didn't understand. The twelve said, Father, they have gone away because the words are unknown. They were foolish. But he said, do you also want to, to leave? And then Peter says, no, we do not want to because you, have the, you carry the words of eternal life. And although we don't understand them, we accept them. And then Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Peter, Simon, the son of Jonas, for not the flesh and blood have revealed this to you, but the Father who lives in Helen. We see Apostle Paul preaching, saying, God has opened the heart of this person to hear. From a multitude, there was only two whose hearts were turned to God. There was a reason, because this was not a good land. When there is a good land, a person comes to hear the word of God, not as an inspector, but as a disciple. He comes as an inspector. This means that he has an evil land. The good seed will perish in his land, and there will not be a place there for God. There will not be a place there for him where he can incline his, his head. Because we want to know everything. But he said, this is hallowed, this is mine. In the heart, such an attitude toward hearing the word of God exists as the gold table in the heart of man, where God can state or sate his hunger and thirst. There will come a time where we can eat the breads after seven days, it's written. If a person understands this truth in their heart and does not resist with their mind, but humbles the mind, then in the eyes of God, this person has grown out of infancy and became a perfect man. Don't think that perfection is when you 
absolutely make no mistakes and do not sin. Because that's what the idea of perfection looks to us, that we don't sin at all and that we are not filled with lust. Absolutely not. When you become perfect and when you do sin and fall, you are going to remain perfect for the very reason that you are righteous. And the righteous may fall seven times but will get right back up because falling you will get up all the time and you will repent and you will say, Lord, I uncover my sin to you. I leave it. Forgive me. I want to once again follow after you. Give me a chance. And God is going to destroy this sin. Just as Apostle John had said, my children, I write to you not to sin. But even if one of you does sin, then we have an intercessor, Jesus Christ, he who was righteous and died for our sins, and not just for our sins, but the sins of the world. But the whole world does not use this truth because they don't know it, but you do know it. Therefore, to become a perfect man, he has left infancy and has become a perfect man. If you understand what I'm telling you right now, and you are ready to humble yourselves to the fact that those things that you don't understand but will accept because you have anointing that we're going to talk about further, this is going to mean that you have come to perfection, that you are not infants any longer and that you are not present before God in your infancy. The third symbol of the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh was the breastplate of judgment worn by the high priest with its twelve precious stones on each of which was engraved one of the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. It was about um, a span in width. It was a, recti a rectangular, about a span in length and height, excuse me, width and height. And there were 12 golden settings and there were 12 precious stones with the engravings of the sons of Israel. Exodus chapter 28, verses 15 through 21, you shall make the breastfeed of judgment artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. You shall make it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. You shall make it. It shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length and a span shall be its width. And you shall put settings of stones in it, four rows of stones. The first row shall be sardius, topaz, and emerald. This shall be the uh, first row. The second row shall be a turquoise, sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a jacinth, and a gate, and amethyst. The fourth row, a barrel, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold settings, and the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name. They shall be according to the twelve tribes. This must be on each of us. And this breastplate of judgment is found on Christ, who is found on the right hand side of the Father. The breastplate of judgment is a man's good conscience, cleansed of dead works by the twelve foundational doctrines contained in the teaching of Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh. The twelve names of the sons of Jacob engraved into the precious stones like signets symbolize God's zeal, seal, or seal of righteousness, which is engraved into a man's heart by the Holy Spirit, who works with man when he obeys the teachings represented by the precious stones and the breastplate of judgment worn by the Son of Man. 
in his role as the high priest established by God. Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31 through 33. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law on their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Based on this prophecy, the breastplate of judgment made of twelve precious stones represented in man's heart a new covenant between him and God. Second, the breastplate of judgment made of 12 precious stones, and again, this we can truly see furthermore. It served as a continual memorial to God. Exodus chapter 28, verses 29 through 30. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastplate of judgment over his heart when he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord continually. And you shall put in the breastplate of judgment, the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be over Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. So Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel over his heart before the Lord continually. To be a continual memorial before God is to be ready to affirm the written judgments of God at any time appointed by God, whether for mercy or punishment. Third, the breastplate of judgment made of twelve precious stones was a narrow gate in the heart of man through which the Holy Spirit could open the way to the good path of man, for man. The phrase, you shall make a breastplate of judgment artistically woven was addressed to Moses and those people God appointed to weave holy robes for the priests. This tells us that the breastplate of judgment that is a good conscience can be made only by the watchman placed by God according to his order and not by people we voted for or who established themselves. We must always remember that the Church of Jesus Christ is not an earthly democratic institution, but a heavenly theocracy in which people called to be watchmen representing the perfect will of God cannot be elected. Theo, theocracy, meaning God, love, Christy is authority. Theo is one. Watchmen can only be established by God with the hands or by the hands of other watchmen already in place. Can you imagine when people who do not know the teachings of Christ and they elect for themselves pastors, what kind of pastors are they going to choose? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11-14 through 14 says, He gave some to be apostles, some prophets and evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine
destruction by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. The fourth symbol of the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh is the path of Israel's wandering through the desert, who camped around the tabernacle in the same order as the twelve oxen who carried the bronze seed. Numbers chapter 2, verses 1 through 27. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Everyone of the children of Israel shall camp by his own standard. Beside the emblems of his father's house, they shall camp some distance from the tabernacle of meeting. On the east side, toward the rising of the sun, those of the standard of the forces with Judah shall camp according to their armies. So three tribes, Judah, Isaacar, and Zebulun, stood on the east side, around the tabernacle. On the south side shall be the standard of the forces with Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. On the west side was Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin. On the north side was Dan, Asher, and Naphtali, and their camps. Numbers chapter 2, verses 1 through 27. One gets the impression that the four armies of Israel, so the whole army was divided into four armies, three camps and one army. Each army was built around the tabernacle, but one looked at the east, one looked at the north, one looked toward the south, the other toward the west. Their backs were against the tabernacle, and they looked at the four corners of the earth. And of course, one gets the impression that the four armies of Israel were meant to protect the tabernacle of God from enemies, which God dwelled in. But in fact, their order of placement signaled that they were all searching for God. They were called to protect it necessarily, but they were all focused on searching for God. If certain churches proclaim that they search for God, but they can't describe the kingdom of heaven, and they don't know the order of this kingdom, reflected in the supreme teaching of Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh, then such people, although they say they seek God, are in fact searching for an opportunity to exploit the principles of faith for their own success and prosperity in this material life. Because of this, they liken themselves to that category of people who look for the narrow gates somewhere other than the place where they're supposed to be and with the wrong tools. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31-33 Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Here it says that you don't need to care for this, and you don't need to protect these things, because all of this the Gentiles search for, and because your Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. This arrangement of God's people or rather tabernacle allowed Him to find them and reveal Himself to them, and at the same time to fight on their side and defend them from their enemies. A tabernacle. If the ark even ended up in the hands of the enemies, you can hold Israel captive, but you can't hold the God of Israel captive. I won't bring upon this example, but we know that when the ark ended up in the Philistines, when they said, finally, we've taken the God of Israel captive and we have we have chained him up. We know that when they came the next day, 
their belongings were destroyed before the ark. But that's not all. God had destroyed the whole Philistine people with one illness. Shameful, frightening. And they, in horror, ran to their sorcerers, and those told them, this is, this is God, this is the God who is great and mighty. You are captive. He is holding you captive. <laughs> Woe to you, because you are, you are captive. He, you're not, he's not, you're captive, you are his captive. What do we do? Let that God go back. And then, there were so uh, many rats there. The rats had eaten almost everything. They had multiplied. And they made golden rats and upon a new chariot, chariot they carved out new cows. They said, let's go where these cows go. Cows went into the land of Israel. So the fact that they stood around the tabernacle doesn't mean that they protected it. They needed to correctly stand so that the God who is inside of the tabernacle could protect them and could communicate with them. The fifth symbol of the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh is the throne of King Solomon, whose steps were flanked by twelve lions. First Kings chapter 10, verses 18 through 20. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. The throne had six steps. Twelve lions stood there, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. Nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. In scriptures, the lion, as a positive symbol, represents a righteous or blameless man. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Proverbs 28, verse 1. Sometimes I do enjoy looking at nature, what is happening in nature, and I observe these animals, how free of fear they are. They're not afraid of anything. If another animal in the presence of fear begins to run, Lions are not afraid of anyone. That's why they don't stand guard or stand watch. This, this is what it means that the righteous has the fear of the Lord and they're not afraid of anyone else. And when he does have the fear of the Lord, he's not afraid of anyone else. And the six steps that they stood on are the number of men which defines the nature of men. And in this essence or nature of men, we see these twelve lions. Twelve lions and twelve steps represent the righteousness of man by which he rules over himself. It's true that such a throne as this, from which man can rule, judge, and govern over himself, does not exist in any other religion in the world. Not one religion of this world teaches that a person is able to rule over himself. 
to have dominance. They try to say, yes, you have to try and control yourself, but this is not the same. That's It's false. It's a fake. Neither Buddhism, not the philosophies of Buddhism, not the philo uh, philosophies of Confucius or Islam, no other philosophy can offer something like this, like the throne and the heart of a person upon which there would be 12 lions. A person who does not know the reigning teachings of Jesus with its 12 foundations cannot have a throne with six, six steps supporting 12 lions and therefore cannot have true righteousness in his heart even though he might call himself righteous. In order to have the throne of Solomon in our hearts, which symbolizes our willing and conscious reliance on the Holy Spirit, we need to lose our souls, that is, depart from Egypt. Only when you depart from Egypt, then you become lions. Numbers chapter 24, verses 8 and 9. God brings him out of Egypt. We are referring to Israel. He has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall arouse him? Who shall rouse him? Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. It is only when we have such a throne in our hearts with its twelve lions that the promise will be fulfilled, which blesses the one who blesses you and curses the one who curses you. The throne with twelve lions gives God the opportunity to reveal his mysteries to man. These mysteries are revealed to us when we have the ability to receive revelations that will cover us in the fear of the Lord so that we could speak the truth boldly. Amos chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals the secret to his servants, the province. Continuation. A lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who? Who can but prophesy? Have you paid attention? When God reveals his mystery to his servants, this is like a roaring lion. Who will not prophesy after this kind of authority? Who will not go forth? The sixth symbol of the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh is a crown of twelve stars worn by the woman of the twelfth chapter of Revelations. Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. And being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth, to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God in his throne. This is the proverb that talks about different sides, different angles. It doesn't talk about the three categories of Christians who are in the good, acceptable, perfect will, but it also enlightens that all of these three categories have a crown 
of 12 stars. The woman had the crown of 12 stars. This garland of 12 stars is called the crown of life in scriptures and the crown of glory. James chapter 1 verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been tested, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The crown of life made of 12 stars is the result of our faithfulness to the reigning teaching of Jesus that we have accepted. A person who accepts the teaching of Jesus but does not pass through the trials that must cleanse him of impurities through these teachings can never receive a crown of 12 stars. That's why she had screamed out from pain. So essentially, in temptations occur, birth occurs of something new in our spirit, something we can't see fully right away, because when the woman cries from pain, she doesn't see anything besides agonizing pain. And she almost literally dies from pain. And as doctors say, there comes a point in birth when the woman, when uh, the baby and the woman who gives birth, they are close uh, to death. How come when a child is born, he is, um, he is patted on the back so that he can cry out? because he is close to death, and so is woman, but they do not die. Imagine that an infant, despite the fact that he's in the physical body inside, but he's in the spiritual dimension. He understands everything. He hears everything. He understands even better than any academic or any, um, any scientist. If you take them all together, all scientists, a child in the womb understands more than them. Not one mystery of the universe is hidden from him because he is in the spiritual dimension. He knows all things. I have shared this before with you that atheists, scientists, they had spoken to those women who had difficulties carrying a child. Um, they had certain pathological issues and they place different tools in the room so that they can watch the behavior of a child. In a whole other building, not in the same building, but a whole other building, there was uh, a group of doctors deciding whether or not to abort a child or to save a child. And if they decided in another building that they, he would be aborted, then the, uh, the infant would begin to agonize in horror. How? How? When someone says, uh, he, fetuses don't understand everything, how could he feel this agonizing pain? How could he know what the doctors are talking about in a whole other building about him? But a child in the womb knew that he, a death decree was just signed. And when a surgeon had passed through there with an instrument to rip him apart into pieces, then they, the scientists had said that each cell of this small person uh, trembled in fear. When he heard that he, they made the decision that this child can be saved, then he was grasped by 
inexplainable joy. And then they change their understanding. There exist spiritual laws that the government doesn't reveal to people or talk about. Take a look. The whole city is filled with cemeteries. And you know that where a cemetery is, there is a decrease in births and there is an increase in miscarriages and they know about this. But those people who live around cemeteries, they're at risk because this is death surrounding them and they're living along with, um, close to this death. But they don't say about this because no one is one, no one is going to want to live close to the cemeteries. There are very many things that are not told or not spoken of. That's why I always bring up this example. When Maria goes into the house of her aunt Elizabeth, Elizabeth was pregnant. She didn't tell anybody about this yet. Nobody knew about this, that she was pregnant. But Maria knew. She knew because the Archangel Gabriel told her. He said that your relative, Elizabeth, barren, she has conceived and she's six months along. She then goes to Elizabeth's house she, and when she walks in and she greets her, then she says, at this time, her it is filled with joy. How is it that the mother of my Lord has come? For when the sound of your greeting came to my ear, the child within me became joyous and glad. Therefore, let us understand that the garland of 12 stars is the result of the three levels of birth, water, spirit, and throne that are going to occur through temptation to trial. Therefore, the woman screams in pain of this. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. It follows from this bold proclamation that the crown of twelve stars is a crown of righteousness or a crown of blamelessness. Such a crown is a testament to the purity or virginity of a person who has not defiled himself with woman, which are false teachings that are called Christian while there is nothing Christian in them. Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 to 5. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sing as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the hundred and forty-four thousand who were redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. 
The number 144 is 12, 12 times. It is those who, in the words of Paul, love the appearance of Jesus Christ, which in practice means that they love the promise of the rapture and begin to revolve around it. They begin to study this promise, what's necessary to do in order to be raptured. What is rapture? They gained great desire to be raptured. They found great desire to be found with Christ on the clouds. Not in the moment when he goes, comes to for the thousand-year reign, but when he comes as a thief in the night and when he raptures. To rapture means to steal, to rob. And when he comes to the thousand-year reign as thunder, that will be the coming of the Son of Man. And the rapture will be different, though. Therefore, there are people who reject rapture, saying, by confusing it with when Christ is going to come to the thousand-year reign. And in order to await the appearance of Jesus Christ, we must first see that the angel followed by the 144,000 stood on Zion. And this is the place where God favors to dwell. The lamp, the lamp stood in Zion and the 144,000 with him. This is the only mountain placed by God over all the other mountains of the earth on which the capstone of the universe will be placed amid great rejoicing. It was already placed. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 7. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. So when before Zerubbabel, the prince, the Jewish prince, when there were mountains before him, problems, the God the prophet says, What are you, a great mountain before Zerubbabel? Because God views Zerubbabel as the highest mountain. Zerubbabel means born in Babylon. He's a prince from the tribe of Judah who became part of the genealogy of Christ if he studied. He led Israel out of Babylonian captivity and rebuilt the temple of the Lord on Mount Zion, which was destroyed by the Babylonians. The crown of twelve stars will be given to the one who departs from Babylon and turns to the ancient path of goodness and comes to Mount Zion to erect the tabernacle there. Therefore, Zerubbabel is that category of watchmen who were born in Babylon but seek the interests of Zion in which they will rebuild the ruins of Jerusalem and its temple. The 144,000 are those saints who stand with Christ on Zion by the power of His reigning teaching. They are able to stand in faith with the Lamb on Mount Zion because their foreheads are marked with the name of the Lamb's Father. By the power of this mark, they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. By this power, they are also able to sing before the four cherubim, who represent the four of the rivers coming out of the garden and the four armies around the tabernacle, a new song that no one can learn besides the 144,000 redeemed from this earth. This shows that nobody other than them could find the narrow gates and pass through them. To sing a new song is to enter through the narrow gates. 
but no one could besides them. This means that only they had entered through the narrow gates. Recognizing the urgency and importance of obtaining this crown of twelve stars, the unfading crown of glory, Paul wrote, The elders who are among you I exhort, I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those who entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now, be wary of who you allow to shepherd you, whether it be a person with a controlling spirit who tells you what you want to hear because it frees you of personal responsibility to lead a good life, or a person who leads not out of avarice, but in good faith, showing by example how to live a life of faith. Pay attention who you trust your ear to, a person who with this controlling spirit or a person who shows example how to lead a good life, a life of faith, because a person receives a crown of glory or dishonor depending on who he allows to lead him. This is evident in the words of Christ toward those who would represent him, his emissaries. Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 and 41. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Apostle Paul wrote that to receive a prophet in the name of a prophet means to share in every good thing with the teacher, which we have already talked about. When we share with the teacher God placed over us, and who lives in obedience to the ruling teaching of Christ, we sow into the Spirit. When we share with the teacher we chose for ourselves, we sow in the flesh. Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. I'll read this place of scripture again. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. The 144,000 saints wearing the crown of 12 stars are the elect for whose sake God will shorten the time of the Great Tribulation. Mark chapter 13, verses 19 and 20. For in those days there will be tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. The elect are the small flock who, apart from the large flock called to salvation, belong to the 144,000. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth, 
earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. This vision tells us that only those people who are part of God's order will be able to receive the seal of the living God. Therefore, if a person accepts water baptism and baptism in the Holy Spirit, but does not put on the armor and garments of light, which show to God that man is part of his order and follows the rules of his kingdom, then God will no longer recognize the legitimacy of that man's baptisms. Romans chapter 2 verse 25 says, For circumcision is indeed profitable, profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. When a prophet receives his reward from the Lord, the same reward will be received by the one who accepted this prophet. There will be one reward and the prophet will receive that reward that Christ had received because he was faithful to Christ. And because he carried on his teaching, Christ is going to give him his crown out of 12 stars. The ones who had listened to the prophet, they also will receive the same crown, one in the same reward. The seventh symbol of the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh are the twelve laden baskets remaining after five thousand people were felled by five loaves of bread and two fish. Mark chapter 6, verses 31 through 44. And he said to them, Jesus said to his disciples, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while, for there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude. So these people, they came before the disciples. They found out where the disciples were going. Uh, when the disciples remained, uh, Jesus said, go on the other direction and rest. And these people, they noticed the disciples and they ran after them. And when Jesus and the disciples came, there were thousands of people there. Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep. Interesting, these were not pigs, right? They're sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. The sheep will run after their shepherd. Pay attention here. They search for their shepherd. They run after him. They observe those who are with him so they could be met with the shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. You are a light to the earth. And they said to him, Shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. 
And then when they found out, they said, five and two fish. And he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. He had thanked God for it, and he had given it to his disciples, who then passed it along. They all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and the fish. Now those who had eaten of the loaves were about five thousand men. Of course, we could figuratively imagine these men, and these men had their wives with them, and at that time there was a lot of um, polygamy going on, that there was a lot of wives and children. But in Scripture, we know that there was, they said, 5,000 men, and this is an image. The desert, where Jesus and the disciples were, is one of the images of sanctification. People saw the disciples withdrawing into the desert, and many recognized them. The people knew that there where the disciples were, Jesus would also be. That's why, looking for Christ, they followed on foot wherever the disciples of Jesus went. They ran there where the disciples were headed, and they were not wrong, because they found Jesus there. Jesus, seeing this multitude, was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And the Bible says, He began to teach them many things. But when they became hungry, the disciples turned to Jesus and asked Him to let people go to the surrounding villages to buy bread for themselves, because they had nothing to eat. Then Jesus said, turning to the disciples, You have given them something to eat. Basically, all that Jesus had taught had to find itself, well, it had to be proven by the twelve baskets remaining of the five loaves and two fish. The five loaves are the image of the fivefold authority by whose gospel God gives the world life. The two fish are the two great witnesses before God of the earth in the format of the kingdom gospel of the Holy Spirit, who fills this world with his anointing power. The 5,000 people are those category of people of this world who have willingly subordinated themselves to God's fivefold authority. The 12 full baskets symbolize the reigning teachings of Christ, who demonstrates God's faithfulness to His Word. So take a look here. All of these things mathematically are related to one another. And all of them is to demonstrate that all of this became possible only thanks to those 12 teachings that Jesus had preached about. And the most interesting is that when a person understands this, he's never going to have any lack. When they ate, he preached, he taught them many sayings. He taught them these 12 main foundations. And when they were filled, these 12 fragments were saved, but in a material form, and the bread and the fish have great meanings. Because bread grows from the earth, from the ground. The Word of God is not from the ground. It is water. It is from water. Therefore, the Holy Spirit, He is also like water about the earth. And the Word of God is also like water. Therefore, these two fish, only two fish, why not three? Why not four or five? Why only five breads, two fish? The Holy Spirit made it to be two, five loaves and two fish, so that upon these 
with physical, material things, He can show spiritual principles, how they work with one another. Give them, you give them to it, you must pass it along. Yes, people listen to Christ, but they can receive from Christ through these people, through these watchmen. You give them to it. And take a look, the breads begin to multiply not in the hands of the Lord, but in the hands of the watchmen, when they begin to pass it along. And when they break apart to this man and that man, they have remaining that which they had originally. They break apart, but there is more remaining. He is eating, eating full, and everything remains. And then there were 12 large baskets that were filled. And Christ says, make sure nothing goes to waste. From all of this, we can confirm that the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, which we are going to study furthermore, because in fact, we are only preparing ourselves. What is it comprised of? Yes, this are the symbols, there are 12 symbols, or the symbols of the 12 teachings that we just looked at, even though there are many more. But right now, because our time has come to a conclusion, we are going to pray and thank God. Thank Him that He has made us joyous people. He has given us the opportunity to hear this unique teaching, this mighty teaching that a person, having accepted, can overcome any evil and can be found under the protection and have guarantee for his rapture. He can at any time come to God. If he has sinned, he can repent of his sins and restore his relationship with God. He can be delivered from any kind of dependency that he has from any kind of fear that rules over him. And right now, when we are going to pray, all of those who might be chained up by any kinds of fears, dependencies, you can come. The Holy Spirit is here. So that through this word, he said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. To free you, to clothe you in his dignity, in his truth and to make you the happiest people on earth. Amen. Let us pray. I will now pray and I ask you to deeply believe that God is in this place. He is for you and He is not against you. He is able to help you destroy the sinful chains, to overcome sinful lusts, to overcome the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Your eyes closed and your hands raised to the heavens, a sign that you are ready to accept from God what He desires to give you. God loves when hands are raised to Him without fear and doubt, believing that what God has promised He shall fulfill. Our Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my sin, with my shame, with my fear, with my dependency, with my wound. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, heal my wound, take my shame, cover me with yourself, protect me from fear. I accept your word, your authority in the Holy Spirit, in my heart. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that according to your word, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am justified. 
I am saved. Amen. Amen. Your sins and your transgressions are forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He come upon you with His holy countenance and have mercy upon you. May He give you peace. May around you fall thousands and tens of thousands but not draw near you. May all of these things, all of these promises, blessings come upon you and upon your generation and upon your descendants and may be fulfilled upon you. Let the people say, Amen. Now all together, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.